You're listening to episode 37 of the Journey to Launch podcast, understanding credit and how to use credit to build wealth. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm so excited you are here with me, listening, learning, and continuing on your journey to launch to financial freedom. So last week, I had a guest talking about student loans. And this week, I have a guest expert talking about credit, your credit score, your credit cards, how to increase it, why it's important, and everything in between. And remember I said, I said this in the last episode, but I really want to dive deep into certain topics that I think are very important. And so some of it might seem a little basic to some of you guys, or maybe not as important, but I know for some of you that are listening, getting your credit score up, understanding what's involved in your credit score so you can qualify for whatever it is that you're looking to purchase or do is very important to you. So I do not want to overlook that. I want to talk about it. And I get asked a lot about credit in my private Facebook group on my Instagram, just anywhere, you know, people typically bring up credit. So we're going to talk about that today with special guest Shante Nicole. Shante Nicole runs the very, very popular Facebook group, Financial Common Sense, and she is the creator of yourfinancialcommonsense.org. She is an expert in credit. She's a wife, mother of a son with autism, a financial educator, and a certified credit consultant. She's an author, a cancer survivor, and a nursing degree recipient. And at one point, you're hearing her story, she was also homeless. And she also runs nonprofits. And I mean, she's all around just an amazing woman. And she started Financial Common Sense when she was recovering from her own financial crisis. And now she's educating and empowering others to take charge of their credit, budget, and savings. And I'm a part of Shantae's amazing Facebook group, and she gives so much great information. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast to share some of that. Now, before we get started, just wanted to do some housekeeping. If you are listening to the podcast, if you love the podcast, please continue to share it with your friends and family. Share it on your social media page. Share it to me. So, you know, direct message me. Give me your comments on what you liked about the episode, what you learned. That really, really helps me understand and know that the content I'm delivering is really connecting with you. Also, if you listen in Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This is a huge deal for me, and it really shows me that you are appreciating the work and effort that I'm putting into the podcast. I read every review. I think I'm going to read one at the end of this episode, too. Just show some appreciation for you guys who take the time to leave the review. So stick around at the end for that. If you don't listen to this podcast and Apple products, totally fine. I accept listeners and journeyers wherever you come from. So thank you for listening regardless. If you want the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 37. 
Also, don't forget you can join my private Facebook group, journeytolaunch.com slash community. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm at Journey to Launch everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So we are going to talk about everything that you've been asking about with your credit scores. What's important? What affects your credit? How do you improve your credit? What's the difference between a Vantage score and a FICO score? How can you use credit to build wealth? And I hope you really get a lot from this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Shantae. Hey, Journeyers. I'm so excited to have Shantae Nicole on the podcast. Hi, Shantae. Hi, how are you? Good. And I'm excited to have Shantae on because Shantae is a credit expert. <laughs> right, Shantae? Absolutely. So I want to talk more about credit because I have not talked about it a lot on this podcast or in my content, but I know it's super important for just the financial journey, having that together, knowing your credit and understanding what goes into it and using credit to your advantage. So before we jump into all of that, Shante, please just introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from and what you do. I am Shante Nicole. I currently live in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm from the DC area. So I've lived practically everywhere in Maryland, DC and Virginia. And what I do is financial coaching and credit coaching. Okay. And you run the very popular Facebook group, Financial Common Sense, right? C-E-N-T-S. Yes. <laughs> you have like, what is it? I think I looked at it. It was like 50,000 members. <laughs> A little over 58,000. Wow. Okay. So you have 58,000 members and obviously that's not a fluke. So you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And really the basis of why I initially started, like I joined your group like a few months ago, I believe, or maybe it was the beginning of last year. And I was just impressed just by the amount of information and services you give to your people, to the people who come to you, because what I'm finding out and what I've realized is that while my overarching goal is to help people reach financial independence, so that more advanced level where your assets are paying for your lifestyle. So you don't have to actively work like you are financially free. That is the ultimate goal of my content that a lot of people when they come at first or just their beginning, they do have credit questions and they do have a lot of debt. And so that's a major part or hurdle to get over first. And I don't want to ignore that. I want to make sure I touch upon that. And so I want to get into how you got into this credit journey, how you started helping people, just some more background, your personal story about how you got to where you are today. It's kind of interesting. When I was about 20 years old, for some reason, I was just fascinated with learning about finances and accounting and debt and to credit and credit to debit and all that stuff. So I would always listen to the radio and they would have a credit guru on there and I would just take, you know, mental notes and I would tell my friends, did you know if you have a collection and yada, yada, yada? And they're like, okay, that's boring. You know, for some reason I just would research and I would go on the internet and I would just look up stuff. And it wasn't really so much to help myself. I just wanted to have the knowledge because I'm kind of a geek that way. I just want to know stuff. I want to know everything. And so I just started learning about it. And so never really wanted to get in the business of helping people repair their credit or finances. When I started college, I went for accounting and then I changed my major to speech pathology. And then I ended up getting a degree in nursing. So as you can see, <laughs> I was all over the place, but I was always 
fascinated with learning about credit. Growing up, I used to hear my mom say, oh, I have bad credit. Or she's talking to her friends. Or I heard people say bad credit. And I never knew what that really meant. I just knew it was something bad, clearly. But I wanted to know more about, okay, so you have bad credit, but why do you need good credit? And what is credit? And how does it help you in life? And so I just wanted to really dig deeper just to have the knowledge for myself. Right. So I think it's pretty important because also to note that this is also a business for you. So part of the whole becoming financially free is increasing your income, finding things that you love to do that you can actually make money doing and service other people, which is what you're doing with your business. When I started the group, it was December 29th of 2016. So we just hit our year anniversary at the end of last year. And I only really started the group because I had been in a few financial groups on Facebook. And of course, just seeing how many people out there still had no idea with understanding credit or even how to budget or how to save. We're pretty much all adults. And I was thinking that so many people work so hard for their money and we're spending so much money on high interest rates, you know, where people are in over their heads with credit card debt, not knowing how to manage it, tons of collections. And so Around the end of every year, you see people on Facebook say, oh, I want to get my beach body right. I want to work out. I'm going to start this new diet. I'm going to go to the gym. But you never really saw people talk about financial fitness. And I know it's not a very attractive subject to talk about. And no one's going to just go on Facebook and just disclose all of their information about their finances. And so I just said, you know, I just want to create an environment on Facebook where people can freely express their concerns about their credit and their finances. And they could ask questions. If people had insight, they could provide insight and just support each other. If someone was down in the dumps with anything related to finances that people can say, oh, you know, I was there before. This is how I came out of it. Um, Or if anyone just wanted to lend some support or encouragement if someone got out of a situation just to have someone to rally behind them. So I really just wanted to start a little finance club on Facebook, just things they couldn't really talk to their friends and family about, but feel safe enough to disclose it to thousands of strangers, oddly enough. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the magic with the internet. You do sometimes feel more comfortable sharing with strangers and people you don't know than people in real life, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's get into just credit itself. Now, this might seem like a very simple question, but why is credit so important? People don't really realize how important it is until they find themselves needing credit. It can be the determining factor in whether you're approved for a house, a car, student loans, or standard loan, how high your interest rate is on those things you borrow money for. Even getting a job, I have a client who was turned down for a job that she was highly qualified for, but because she had bad credit, she was denied the position. And it's really not just about the score, but it just shows your credit worthiness. How responsible are you with borrowing money and paying it back? It's like if a friend continues to ask to borrow money and they never pay you back, their credit worth is shot because you're like, every time you borrow money from me, I don't see it. That's the only way lenders can determine how responsible you are by looking at your credit history. So it's so important. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree that it comes to a certain point where depending where you are on your financial journey, the how you use credit is different because like in my case, 
I have credit cards. I use credit cards and I pay them off every month because I travel hack. So I like to travel for free as much as I can. And so that's like my girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why, I mean, I use credit to my advantage in that aspect. But otherwise, like I really don't necessarily stay on track of tracking. I'm not like one of those people who like every month or every week I'm looking at it, but that might be because I'm looking at it from a place of I'm pretty secure that it's really good. It's high versus someone who has credit problems and have defaults and delinquencies where for them, it's obviously a much more pressing issue, what their credit score is Mm -hmm. and how they can fix it. Yeah. And I think that people are in a position where they have certain goals and they want to meet those goals and mistakes they've made in the past have hindered them from being able to meet those goals. So you say you wanted to be in the house by 30. Well, you're 36 and you're still renting. So now they're looking at their credit like, what can I do? I want to meet this goal. I'm tired of renting. I'm tired of paying 24% interest on a car or my car is breaking down on me. I need a new car. And they've never paid attention to their credit until it was time to go to the dealership and pull their credit. And then they see, wow, this is where I stand. I got denied or they gave me a car, but I'm paying almost double because of the interest rate. And so I think that people who know that they've made mistakes in the past for years, they swept their credit history under the rug until it's time to actually face it. And so now people are scrambling and saying, I want to be in the house by April, but my credit score is 400. And so they're looking for that quick fix as well. So I'm really big on just educating people on the basics of credit, understanding how it works so that you know what to do to repair and build your credit. What I've learned after creating this group is that There are a lot of adults out here who just really still don't understand how credit works. Okay, so let's take it back to the basics. How does credit work? So you have a report and it shows your history of your credit. So from the time you first established credit to the present, what has taken place? Now, there are certain things that stay on for a certain number of years. But in essence, it's your history. It's what lenders look at to see how long have they had credit? How responsible have they been? How much credit do they have? awarded to them in relation to how much they're using. So there's so many things that they're looking for when they're trying to see, are we going to give you money? Are you going to be responsible with paying us back? And then you have your score, which is comprised of five components, which I'm still explaining every day to people what those components are, because people say, why did my score decrease? Why did I get this increase? Why didn't I get this increase when this happened? So once you understand the five components, you'll understand, oh, when this happens, it changes this. This affects this. So the five components of a score are, and I'm naming them in order of importance, payment history, utilization, your length of credit history, your mix of credit, and your inquiries and new accounts. There are five components. And so Payment history is the highest component. It's 35% of your credit score. So the moment you have a late payment or you get a late mark or you have a collection or something gets charged off, your score is affected greatly because that is the most important thing. If you're going to ask someone to borrow money, they want to see if you can pay it back responsibly and on time. So just understanding those five components will help you understand what I need to do to keep my good credit or if I made some mistakes in the past, what I need to do to rebuild again. Mm. And so if a person does have those things on their credit history and they have low credit or damaging information on their credit, what are the steps to take to fix that so they can start getting their credit score up? So I'll use myself as an example. So I'm a cancer survivor, 16 years. (laughs) Wow, good. Thank you. I know what it's like to have tons of medical collections 
I know what it's like to be divorced and left with thousands of dollars in credit card debt. I know what it's like to actually be homeless and not have a place to live. And I was unemployed as well. So I'm using up tons of my credit cards just to stay afloat, just to pay for my car and pay for food for myself and my child. And so the thing is, at that moment, I didn't really care about my credit because I was like, this is the most important thing, just trying to manage day to day. But I always knew what to do to bounce back, whereas a lot of people who are currently in the situation I was in the past, they don't know what to do. So I've used up a lot of my credit cards to stay afloat, which utilization is the second highest component. So if you have $5,000 of credit card limit available to you, you don't want to show any more than about 30% of your utilization. Well, if I have seven cards and they're all maxed out, that's going to affect my score greatly. So what did I need to do? Get those cards paid down (laughs) so that my score can boost. If I had late payments, Okay, I've had times where I couldn't pay my credit card every month, not even the minimum. So I got late mark after late mark after late mark. Okay, so you may check my report and see four or five late marks on a credit account. Well, any negative items on your credit, the older they are, the less weight they hold. So maybe you can't do anything about getting those late marks removed. But I know that after two or three years, even though they're still going to be there on my report, because again, it's your credit history, it's not going to weigh heavily on my score. So Sometimes time just has to pass in order to help increase your credit. Also, my length of credit. Well, my oldest account is 19 years old. So you don't want to open too many new accounts in a short amount of time because it shortens your average age. And so creditors always look at how long have they had credit? Did they open a lot of new accounts in a short amount of time? You don't want to look like a newbie to the credit game as well. So if you have a thin line of credit and you're applying for something, you may have a pretty good score because you don't have enough information to show any damaging history, but you still look new. So you still look risky. So just knowing what those five components were helped me to rebuild quicker because I knew it was, okay, just don't have any more late marks. Make sure you keep your utilization low. Don't open too many new accounts. And so those are the things that I did to help rebuild again. And so because I was able to rebuild, I still have the knowledge and techniques to maintain good credit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also interesting to note that obviously it depends on where you are in your journey, because if you're just starting out and you do need that high credit score to qualify for certain things and have access to capital to do things, then what you're saying about not opening up too many accounts is super important. All right. I'm just really intrigued by what you just mentioned. You just said that you were divorced, homeless, and a couple other things, right? You had cancer. And then I believe you said you have a child with autism. Yes. How have you overcome all this adversity in your life? I think because I had no choice but to face it. I had no control over it. You know, I got fired unjustly. I got kicked out of my apartment because I couldn't afford the rent. You know, I had a son who was developing typically, and then all of a sudden he changed. So it's like, and then the cancer came and I was in stage three cancer. So I literally almost died. These are things that happened in my life that I could not control. And I'm such a control freak. And so it really kind of slowed me down because it's like, Pay attention to the fact that these things are happening in your life and you have no control over them. But what you can do is try to figure out how to make the best of the situation and move forward. And so what I started doing was, like I said, sharing, like I'm sharing right now and just sharing with people like I've overcome cancer. Yes, I was unemployed. Yes, I you know, have a child with special needs. And so when I come across people who are facing the same things that I've already gone through, then I'm able to give them 
some encouragement, support and insight on what I did to overcome. And hopefully it helps them. You know, the whole credit thing. I'm grateful that I was so obsessed with learning about credit that when I hit rock bottom with my credit, I bounced back so quickly because I knew what to do to boost my credit. My son with autism, what did I do? Okay, well, can't change the fact that he has autism. Let me just help support other families who may be going through it. So in my community, I decided to start some resources for families affected by autism. So I have summer camps going on. I used to run an after school program. I do weekend programs. So what I've done is taken all of my downfalls in life and turn them around. And now it's not about the fact that I turn them around, but how can I help other people realize that they can too? That is so inspiring. And I always say, yes, there are some people born with more and some have it quote unquote easier than others. But despite of challenges despite of your circumstances like you can change it you can decide you want more or if you find yourself in a situation like you know yourself where there was so many things going wrong or not working out it's not over there is still a way for you to reach your goals and even beyond what you think is possible and so I just I think that you that story is just I'm glad we were able to touch on that because it's a testament to what courage and fighting through looks like Yeah, I mean, my thing is, if you're still breathing, then you have time to (laughs) fix your life. You know what I mean? Like, if you're still here, because some people didn't have time, they're not here with us anymore. And so, you know, my husband, he's so supportive. And one of the things he's always tells me when I'm going through something or the things I've gone through, because we've known each other for 26 years. So he's been in my life since I was 12. So he's been there for everything. He says everything you've gone through has nothing to do with you. It has to do with everybody else that's going to come behind you and try to figure out how you overcame it so they can too. So he's like, you know, don't be so selfish to think all the stuff you've gone through has anything to do with you. It doesn't. And that's the mantra I live by. Mm, That's excellent. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you so much. When I was in like, my real travel hacking <laughs> phase. I'm kind of slowed down a bit now. Mm-hmm. I used to open up like a couple credit cards a month. Mm-hmm. In that case, how does that affect my credit for someone who is travel hacking and is opening up cards for points, but paying them off every month? When I was explaining the five components, inquiries and new accounts are only 10% of your credit score, but they do affect you. So every time you apply for something, whether you're approved or not, you get an inquiry on your credit report, which can ding your score anyone anywhere from five to 15 points per account that you apply for. And then if you get approved and that new account reports on your credit report, that's another ding because unfortunately you have to apply for credit to obtain credit. And then once that reports on your report, it looks like now you have a new quote unquote debt. So your score drops again. But as soon as you start using it responsibly, because utilization is the second highest and paying back on time where payment history is the highest, your score will jump right back up. So a lot of people, they get a little anxious and they're like, oh no, my score dropped once I open this new credit card. It's like, okay, you're safe. It's going to drop a little bit, but it'll bounce right back up. What tends to happen is people start applying for every single piece of mail that comes through their door. Discover's offering them a cashback, 0% balance transfers. And then Citibank said, oh, we have a great travel card where you can get 24,000 points if you use $5,000 in the first two months. And so people start opening card after card after card. And so what that shows the lender is, okay, for some reason, this person wants to go into a lot of debt because they're applying for a lot of credit in a very short amount of time. So you look risky. Not only that, your score keeps dropping over and over because you apply. That's an inquiry. It reports as a new account. That's another decrease. And so once you do that, it does affect you. Now, it does bounce back, like I said, but 
even in that you're shortening your average age because you're opening a lot of accounts in a short amount of time. So even though you take the hit and it can bounce back, you still have to remember that it's not just about the score, but your history. And so you look risky to a lender, even if you've had credit established for a very long time and great payment history and great utilization. Once you start opening all those new accounts too quickly and too soon, you're not giving yourself a break in between opening accounts. It does affect your history, but not so much your score because it does bounce back, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And I think you also just have to be aware of what you're trying to accomplish, right? So for example, like I'm not going to buy a car. I already have a car that I'm going to own for a long time. We're not going to buy a house. We can already have our house. We're not really applying for credit. We don't need certain things. So for me, having like the highest score and paying attention to the points, like 15, 20 points here or there yeah. is not as important to me versus someone who is knowing that they are going to go apply for a mortgage or a car note or whatever that is, then they need to be more aware of these things. Absolutely. Most of the people that I talk to and most of my clients, they're not in the position that you and I are in. They're like, I need to increase my score and creditworthiness because I'm trying to obtain something. So they're really, really the people who are logging in every day, every week, check this score. Oh, it dropped one point. I'm so sad. It went up five points. I'm so happy. So they're really, really like, my little credit addicts, I call them, where they're like checking constantly because they actually have a goal that they're trying to reach. And so every point matters, every negative mark counts, every collection counts, you know, and so those are the ones that want to pay attention. And that's kind of my next question was, is there a direct correlation? I'm sure every bank is different. Every lender is different. But is there about a general correlation between points and how much rate you save on something? So if your point is 10 points higher, you typically can save what, 10 basis points? I know that's probably not accurate, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's no magic number. A lot of people ask questions like that. They want to know, is there a specific calculation? Like if this happens and this happens, and then I'll get approved for this. And if I have this score, I'll get 7%. Whereas I have this score, it's not only about the score. And I actually did a blog post about this the other day. And it's called, it's about more than just your score, because you and I can have the same exact score, but I can have four collections on my credit report and you can have none. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How is it that she has negative items on her report? I don't, but we have the same score. It's because maybe my collections are a lot older. And so they don't weigh as heavily on my score anymore. Or maybe you open four accounts in two months and I haven't opened anything in a couple of years. And so they look at your history as well as your score. Now, some companies do have Here's our range. If you fall in this range, this is the percentage that we will award you for this car loan. Or mortgage companies say, in order to qualify, you have to at least meet this minimum. Most lenders have a standard that you have to at least meet to get something from them. And then what your rate looks like determines a lot more than just your score. And so that's why I tell people it's not just about that number you want to see go up, go up, go up, but also you want to have a nice clean history as well. So there's no magic calculation or algorithm, but both go hand in hand. So you definitely want to just make sure you pay attention to both equally. Mm -hmm. Now, what are just some unknown or less known credit hacks that you've discovered throughout your experience in helping someone repair their credit or just get their credit score up because they want to leverage that debt to do something else? The biggest thing that I think people don't realize is that you have to use credit to show good credit worthiness or build a good score. I see people time and time again say, I don't have debt. 
I don't understand why my credit score is so low or I have credit cards, but once I pay them off, I cut them up and I don't use them. But why is my score so low? Because they associate being in debt with credit. And I'm like, when you understand those five components, you'll understand what you can do so easily to boost your credit scores. And I have a video, 15 minute video I put on Facebook and it's almost gone viral just about how to use credit cards to boost your scores. I don't really want to call it a hack because it's really not. It's just common sense when you understand credit basics. You need to use your credit to boost your score. And I talk about how utilization is so important. So one of my tips is I tell people, use your credit cards. If you don't want to run up debt using your credit cards, just use your cards to pay your monthly bills. So I have 16 credit cards. No judgment, please. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I have 10 retail cards and six major credit cards. I use my major credit cards every single month and I use them to pay bills that I would pay with my cash anyway. Like you said, you're a travel hacker. I love cash rewards. So every single one of my cards has cash rewards. And so the more you swipe, the more cash back you get. So I use it to pay my Netflix, my car insurance, my electric bill, cell phone, anything I can pay with the credit card, I use my credit cards. And then when the bill comes, like as you do, I just pay in full. So every month I'm doing that. So number one, I'm showing great payment history. I'm showing excellent utilization because I'm not using any more than 10% of my credit cards and I'm paying back in full. So I'm not paying interest. And so I'm doing that every month and you'll start to see those scores increase almost instantly. And a lot of people don't realize that it's so easy. I'm not saying run out and find something to buy just to show credit card utilization. If you want to treat yourself fine, but just understand that you should still be responsible. If you don't have the money in your pocket to pay that in full, don't buy it on your credit card. Pay cash. Right. And that's why it's so important with the credit card still budget and stick to a budget, even using credit. Yep. That that minimum payment looks really, really, really great. When you get that bill, even if you have all the money to pay in full, you go, hmm, just 52 I'll just pay 52 and I'll keep this other, you know, money for myself. Well, now you're paying interest. And now if you use the card again, you're paying interest on the balance that's left. You're paying interest on the new thing you charge and it turns into a snowball so quickly. And then by the time you look, you've used 90% of your credit card. I see it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it snowballs. It snowballs yep. to a point then where it's kind of out of control and your credit card debt is insane. Yep. What are some ways to continually track your credit, whether it's for someone who is really like a credit addict or because they really do need to use their credit right away for something. And, you know, they're trying to meet some goals or for someone like me who is more passive about it, where it's just like, I'm not that concerned every day what my credit is because I don't plan on making any big purchases. So what are some ways for those two types of individuals to keep track of their credit? So we'll talk about the ones like you. I did a um, workshop in Philly last month. The first thing I asked was, when's the last time everyone checked their credit? Someone was like, oh, I check every 30 days. Someone was like, I check every week. One person said, oh, she's like, you. oh, you know, I'm in a good space, you know, have a high score. I got my house, I have my car, really don't check my credit that much. And I said, well, you know, there can be some things on your reporting that aren't even yours or that are inaccurate. And she's like, oh, I didn't think about that because people associate checking all the time with trying to rebuild and repair. And it's like, no, just make sure that the stuff that's reporting is actually yours because the credit bureaus make money by creditors and lenders reporting to them. And sometimes 
accidents can happen. They can transpose a number. They can still be reporting a debt that you've paid off as unpaid. I've seen people who had stuff on their credit that didn't even belong to them because maybe a name was similar or the social security number was almost the same or they transposed the number. So for people like you, you may not want to check because you have a goal you want to meet, but you want to check this because that's your credit history. And you want to make sure if you're going to report on my credit report, then it needs to be accurate. For people like you, I just say check continuously for accuracy. Now, the other people who want to check their scores and their reports because they want to stay on top of the moves they're making or their progress, or if they're trying to repair, they want to make sure that whatever letter they sent and they said that something was going to be removed, they agreed that it does actually come off. You can check your scores on a lot of free websites, but they give you something called Vantage Scoring, which is completely different than FICO. And FICO is what lenders really use to check your creditworthiness. So if you log into a site like Credit Karma, now I like Credit Karma for their reporting, but their scores are Vantage scores. And those five components I told you about with FICO, they have totally different components and percentages with how heavily those components are weighed on your score. Vantage is completely different. So you may log in and see... A 30 point difference, either higher or lower than your actual FICO score. So I always tell people, please don't give credit karma scores much weight. You can check the reports. The scores may give you maybe an indication of where you stand, but you don't really want to focus on Vantage scores. You don't want to focus on any scores besides FICO. So if you log into something and it says your FICO 8 score or FICO 9 or whatever the case is, that's what you want to focus on. So For people like that, they don't want to pay. And so they go to the Credit Wise and Credit Sesame and Credit Karma. But just know if you go there that you're not getting an accurate depiction of where you really stand. Now, where you can pull your FICO scores, most times you have to pay for those memberships. And so it's going to be $30 a month to give you access to your FICO 8 scores and all three reports. Or like myfico.com for $30 a month will give you every single FICO score there is. There's FICO 2, 4, 5 eight and nine. And so they'll give you all of those. And so you just have to figure out, is it worth paying or will I just go to this free site and kind of just understand that that may not be as accurate as you think. And then also, doesn't every person get access to their FICO score at least once a year? It's like the annual credit. Yeah, I forgot the name of the site, but it's uh, everyone has like a free annual check or credit check. Yep. Annualcreditreport.com. So you were right there. Okay. (laughs) It's not your score. It's just the report. So, and that goes by your state. So I'm in Maryland. So every year, September is when we start over. So our year starts over September. So every September I can log in, pull all three and you save them. Now the issue with that is you just see that report for that moment and you have 30 days to continue to log in and access that report. But beyond that, that's it. You see where you stand, but you don't get a chance to see any updates. So that's why it is advantageous for people to actually sign up for like Credit Karma because it updates as things are happening. So you get to see, okay, well, I wrote this credit collection agency and they said if I paid this, then they would remove the negative mark from my report. So after 30 days, you want to log in and see if that happened. Well, with annual credit report, you just get that snapshot at that moment and then that's it. You can't log in beyond the 30 days because you got your one for the year. You have to wait till next year. And so I don't suggest people review their reports once a year. So that's why they have these other websites out here that will give you access to them on a weekly or monthly basis. Right. And you're suggesting that if you check it on an annual basis using the free annual credit score site, that's fine. But 
even though the like credit wise, credit sesame and credit karma, those are some options are not the FICO score. It still gives you a good indication using the Vantage score because it's also free. These are free websites just to kind of give you an idea of what kind of things are coming up on your credit. Yeah, absolutely. I use Credit Karma. I don't pay attention to the score. So when I log in, I close my eyes to those. But they show you your TransUnion and Equifax reports. Now, the reporting is accurate. There's not anything that there's no model that they use that's different than how FICO reports. The report is your report. But the scoring model is different. And so Credit Karma is okay to use for reports. Experian.com is good to get your Experian reports. My FICO, again, if you pay the $30, you'll get your scores and reports. Credit Check Total is another one where they'll give you your FICO 8 scores and your reports. So it's okay to check the free websites for your reports. There's so many different scoring models out here that people don't know. Even each credit bureau has their own scoring model. So if you log in somewhere and it says your TransUnion risk score, okay, you're like, well, it came from TransUnion. It must be an accurate score. If it does not say FICO, it is not an accurate depiction of where you stand. My credit karma score is 30 to 50 points lower than my FICO scores consistently. So I would log in and have a heart attack (laughs) if I thought that was where I stood. So you always want to make sure it's FICO. And even some banks will give you access to FICO. Like if you bank with Bank of America, as a customer, they give you your FICO 8 scores. And you can get those kind of scores on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It updates every 30 days. Yeah. And so even with... uh, Capital One cardholders, they give you something called CreditWise and people think, oh, well, they're giving me my FICO score. No, it's CreditWise. And at the very bottom in small print, you'll see CreditWise uses the Vantage scoring model. So you always want to see what kind of scores that they're offering. So what is the Vantage score? What comprises that? So it's six components of the score. And whereas FICO had the five, Vantage has six. So they have payment history, which is the most important, of course, the percentage of credit limit used. So that's your utilization. But then they break down these four very strangely balances and then available credit. So to me, I'm like your balance and available credit ties in with your credit usage. So it's weird that they broke that down even more. And then they put your age of accounts And the type of credit you have, they put those together as one component, whereas FICO breaks down your average age and then your type of credit. So it's just weird the way they put those together. And then the percentages of how much each component weighs on your score is greatly different than FICO. So it's just totally different. And I tell people just don't pay attention to it all together. Okay. And so, I mean, this is some great, great information, just some credit basics and some things we all should know about our credit. I did ask my private Facebook group. So I have a lot of listeners in there about just some questions. I told them I was talking to a credit expert and I got a couple of good ones. I think I want to just ask here. And Anissa asks, since student loans make up a lot of folks debt, a lot of people are graduating with a lot of student loans. Does having like a student loan debt on your credit history and maybe not necessarily paying that on time or lapses in that have more of an effect on your credit or is really all debt created equal in the whole credit score space? That's a great question. So when we were talking about your utilization, which is the second highest component, that only counts for revolving credit. So revolving credit is credit cards. And so what that means is you applied for 
an account. They gave you a max that you can use up to, but you don't have to use up to that. How much you use depends on how much you pay. So it's like a revolving door. They gave you a thousand dollars. So you use 800, you pay it down or you pay it back. You use 400, you pay it back. You use $10, you pay it back. So you're like, you're like in and out, in and out, in and out. A student loan is much like a car or a mortgage where it's considered an installment line of credit. So they've, you've applied, they've given you one set amount and you have a fixed monthly payment. So that doesn't count towards utilization because you're not using a specific amount that they've given you to use. They've said, this is what you're getting, $35,000 student loan and you're paying 200 a month. So that's installment. So installment doesn't count towards your utilization component. But she asked about lack of payment. Yes, that would affect you the same way as any other debt. If you don't pay and you miss the payment after 30 days, it shows as a late mark on your credit report. If it's another 30 days, that's another hit. If it's another 30 days, so the more you're late and not on time, the more it affects your credit. So yes, lack of payment affects you the same, but not the amount of student loan debt. There are people with hundreds and thousands of dollars in student loan debt still have good scores because their utilization is good on the other side with the revolving credit. So I hope that made sense. Yes, no, that's helpful. Okay, and then... Charlie had a good question in the group and you kind of alluded to this when you talked about one of your clients got denied a job because they checked her credit. So Charlie asked, how do we get access to the other kinds of credit scores? Like, and she wasn't sure what that actually was, but like we know, I've heard that employers and other organizations, even banks, they use other ways to screen us, whether it's for employment or, you know, access to their services. Do you know of those types of scores or those what they're measuring us on? And is there a way that we can find out what that is and get copies of that? Or is it all internal on their system? It's like their own internal system. It's kind of like you go apply for an apartment. So they'll check your standard scores and they may not check FICO. Like an apartment complex may check one of the other scores, the TransUnion risk or the Experian equivalence, the Equifax equivalency score, whatever the case is. But they have their own reporting systems as well. So say if you got evicted from an apartment, okay, and they did not report you to a collection agency, that's the only way that debt will show on your standard credit report. But there's also something called a rental history. So there's a report just to show if you've ever left an apartment and never paid or if you've been evicted. So every company has their own set model that they use to check whatever their standard is for whether you get approved or denied or hired. But companies that check your score, it's just your credit score, period. If you're going into a company that requires you to work with finances, yeah, they're going to check. Have you ever been bankrupt? Are you in over your head in debt? Because you look risky coming in here. You might try to steal from us. You know what I mean? So they're still checking your credit score. I've never heard of employment scores, to be honest. I mean, not specific to applying for a job. They typically check your credit. They want to see, again, your credit worthiness. How responsible have you been in the past with borrowing money from people to paying it back? Have you filed bankruptcy? How many charge-offs do you have? And that's all legal. Like, I guess I'm just thinking like if someone is screening you, you're going in for an application at a bank because I've heard banks do this too. And then they can basically deny you employment or services because of your history. Like, and that's okay. It's just like getting a background check. It may be some things you did that may not be that serious to them that they may find on there. But depending on the type of job you're applying for, yeah, they have stipulations that you have to adhere to as far as whether you would 
fit in with the environment and whether you would make a good employee. Unfortunately, sometimes things happen in our past that affect us later on down the line. And so then we see how important credit really is. Unfortunately, it's just the way that they have to protect their companies too. And so they do look at those things. Just like the banks, they look at something called the check system. So you go to apply for a bank account and they check the check system to see Do you have any other banks that you've been with that you left and you owe them hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yeah, we don't want you to open an account with us and then leave us. So they check that. Now, that's not something that an employer would check. Or if you go for a car that they check check system, they just want to see your credit history. But banks check the check system to see how many accounts do you have floating around here where you owe hundreds of dollars and now you want to open an account with us. No, thank you. So if you have a mark on there, they can deny you even a bank account. Mm. All right. And so let's just do this one last question from Mel. So if you're trying to increase your credit score, does it matter when you pay the balance off? So it looks like she's paying it off every month in full, but does it make more sense to pay it off at a certain time in a month, like half of it in the middle of the month, and then the rest of it right before the due date? Does any of that really matter? It does. And I love that this question was asked because I broke this all the way down on my video because people were so confused. And just when they thought they had it, someone came behind and said, no, do it like this. And then they were confused again. So I'll try to just make this not sound as confusing, but hope it makes sense. So yes, if you have a credit card with $1,000, I like to use this example because $1,000 is just a very easy amount to kind of play around with. And they say you don't want to really show any more than 30% utilization when you're using your credit card. The moment you kind of go over 30, 35%, it starts to lower your score because you look risky, unfortunately, to lenders because it looks like you're using a lot of credit. So if I have a credit card with $1,000 and I use 200, I'm okay. I'm only using 20%. It's safe to just pay in full when my due date comes. But say, for instance, I used $500 that one month. I don't want $500 to report to the credit bureaus because that's showing 50% utilization. So what do I do to kind of hide the fact that I use 50%? Every credit card has a billing cycle. It has a start date and end date. Whatever your balance is at the end of your billing cycle, that's what gets reported to the credit bureaus. So my billing cycle closed and I never paid anything else. It's going to report that I use $500 of my 1,000. Now, if I only want 10% to report, then I can pay $400 before my billing cycle closes. Because once I pay 400, it's going to leave me with the balance of 100. So when my billing cycle closes, what amount is going to get reported to the credit bureau? 100, because I paid it down. So that's kind of like that trick. If you use too much and you don't want that much to report, just make sure you pay it down before your billing cycle closes. Now, here's another mistake people make. They pay everything off too soon. So what they do is they use their credit card for gas and then two days later they pay it off in full. Well, now you've paid it down to zero. So once your billing cycle closes, what amount is going to get reported to the credit bureaus? Zero. So your scores will start to drop because every month it's reporting zero utilization and utilization is the second highest component of your score, which is why it's important to use credit, but don't use too much and use it responsibly. So people end up paying off too soon, or they let so much report and that drops your score. So it is very critical to make sure that you pay on time, you pay at least by the due date. But if you're not using too much, like over 30% of your limit, it's not necessary to pay some before the statement arrives. If you use too much, then yes, you want to pay it down before your billing cycle ends. Every statement has a billing cycle right at the top of your credit card statement. So that is very important. Don't pay it off too soon 
Don't let too much report. Now, the last thing about this topic is that I've heard people say, don't pay it all off. Leave a little bit and let a balance carry over to the next month. That is not necessary because now you're going to be paying interest like we talked about before. So what you want to do is definitely pay it all off. You just want to use the card again because the idea is to show utilization consistently. So you don't have to let a balance carry over to show utilization. You can just pay it off in full, use it again, pay it off in full and use it again. Just like I do with my bills. I use my credit card to pay my bills and I pay it off and then I use it again to pay the same bill. So every month some utilization is reporting. So that's the idea behind that. So that's a great question. And I'm glad she asked. And I hope this isn't too confusing when she listens. (laughs) No, I think this. No, this is really good. I really wanted to get into the weeds with this. I wanted to really just dive deep into credit. And I'm sure there'll be some more conversations around it. I want to do some more advanced talk about credit, like travel hacking and really like using credit to build wealth. But this was excellent, Shantae. I'm going to link everything you mentioned. So that blog post you mentioned in the video, I'm going to link that all in the show notes, everyone. So you guys can go check it out. And especially your Facebook group, I'll make sure to add that link in the show notes also. But I wanted to thank you so much. Just for people listening who want to just find out more about Shantae, like what's going on, where can they go find you right now? They can find me definitely on Facebook in the group Financial Common Sense, C-E-N-T-S. That's the same name for the business page. It's FCC dash Financial Common Sense. You can email me at Shantae at yourfinancialcommonsense.org. You can also find me on Instagram at financialcommonsense. And you can also visit the website, yourfinancialcommonsense.org. Excellent. And again, I'm going to link all of this in the show notes for everyone. Thank you, Shantae, for coming on and sharing all this wonderful knowledge. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and episode with Shantae Nicole. You might have to listen to that again to take some notes <laughs> because she gave so much great information. Remember, all the links, everything we mentioned will be in the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 37. And if you heard throughout the interview, I was asking questions that I fielded from my Facebook group. So that's another great reason to join because typically if I am going to do an interview with someone and I just want to get more feedback from my audience on what you want to hear, I ask people in my Facebook group. So great opportunity if you're in the group to jump in, submit a question and submit topics for the podcast so I can know what you guys want to hear and I can deliver the content that's really going to impact you. Also, I did mention at the end of my last podcast that I had a special list for my membership community that I'm launching in a few months. And so if you want to get on that list, you definitely should because I'm only going to open up enrollment for this membership community to just a few journeyers. And let me tell you, so you get an idea of the topics and the things I talk about on this podcast, but I want to dive deeper and I want to have masterclasses around credit, masterclasses around debt payoff and student loans and masterclasses around financial independence and ways in which I can connect with you more and deliver tools and resources And this is what this monthly membership will be. And it will be at a more affordable price than if you were to work with me one-on-one because I'm able to scale and deliver content to more people. So this is gonna be a great opportunity if you wanna get in as a founding member to get on the list, just to be notified when the doors open and be the first to be enrolled. And again, I'm not accepting that many people. And you once you're on the list, 
You'll get information in a couple months on what to do next and how you can join. But get on the list if you're interested. Journeytolaunch.com slash membership. As I mentioned, I'm going to be reading a Apple podcast review. This is from Three C's. Title is I Needed This. So happy to have found this podcast. I'm not even sure how I found it, but it has been my best discovery yet. Although I'm in my late 40s, God knows I wish I'd been into this in my 20s, I find Jamila's content so helpful and encouraging. I love that her conversation is in plain talk and relatable. She has inspired me to get and stick to a budget, not fear my debt, but to look at it and attack it with a plan and to be open to all investments and money yielding options. So grateful that she has followed what was obviously placed in her spirit. Her podcast is helping me take control of my finances, which is in turn giving me a greater confidence in all aspects of my life. Thanks for everything you're doing, Jamila. Wow, three C's. That was such an amazing comment and feedback. I'm so glad you're connecting and learning and this is empowering you. This is the whole point, guys. This is what I want to do. So thank you for listening. If you want to also leave a review and you listen to Apple Podcasts, go right ahead. I do have a goal of hitting 500 ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts by the end of the year. Right now, let's see where I'm at. I think I'm at, as this recording, 153. So I have a long way to go. But overall, what really matters is that you guys are listening and sharing the content with family and friends. Remember, word of mouth, we'll get it out there more. So next week, join me for another great episode. And until then, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.